Jews, Christians, and Muslims throughout the world point to the same father of their faith, Abraham. And our tradition holds that late in life, God came close to Abraham in the desert night to call for his faithfulness, and despite being childless, promised him descendants as numerous as the stars in the night sky. Abraham's wife, Sarah, impatient to realize this promise, decides to take matters into her own hands, and she gives her enslaved Egyptian Hagar to Abraham. Together they conceive a son, Ishmael, to Abraham's delight. And despite her age, years later, Sarah too bears a son, Isaac. Truly, God keeps God's promises. Let us not be deceived into thinking this is a smooth road for any of them. And before I read the lectionary text for today, which is a troubling story, please pray with me. Sovereign God, you place the stars in the night sky and our, your spirit into our very beings. Your presence pervades our lives as close to us as the air we breathe. Gather us across time and space and stir within us as we hear this ancient story of your faithfulness that we are caught up in your story and live in ways that honor all of your gifts to us. Amen. Listen for God's word as I read from the 21st chapter of Genesis. Abraham made on that day a great feast when Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, playing with her son. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of that slave woman will not inherit along with my son. And this thing seemed evil in Abram's eyes. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do. For it is through Isaac that offspring will be named for you. And as for the son of a slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, and putting it on her shoulder along with the child, sent them away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under the bushes, and she went away and sat down opposite him a good way off, and said, do not let me look at the death of this child. As she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy. Come and lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, and I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy. He grew, and he lived. Now, I've been a minister long enough, and I've been alive long enough, as have you, to know that every family has a trove of buried secrets. Families create and bequeath cover-ups to avoid a reality. Presumably, if we don't talk about those things, we can imagine another story, one more pleasing, and we can fabricate a future that might be more stable than that rocky past we've walked along. At one extreme, true skeletons rot in the closet require a great deal of work to cover their stench, 
And at the other, maybe it's just a slight slant in how you tell the story and you forget about some of those details. In my family, very few photos exist of my paternal grandfather who was born in the early 1900s. The few that remain include a woman called an aunt, but we believe that she must have been his birth mother. Conceived outside of marriage, she gave my grandpa to relatives who had a farm and social stability in small town Iowa. Now my grandfather died when I was in my early 20s, so I really don't have a perspective on him as an adult. So all I can remember is that as a child, he seemed to have an anger about him. During the depression, they lost the farm and any financial security. And at that time, he perhaps heard whispers about his birth. To be called illegitimate stings, and we know worse labels that erode self-esteem. And such damage lingers in the ethos of families. His wife, my maternal grandmother, suffered from anxiety and depression. And if in the year 2020, we're still trying to remove the stigma of mental illness, can you imagine the fear and shame in small town Iowa during the 50s and 60s of such an illness? It haunts me to think of the pain her gentle soul endured and the helplessness grandpa must have felt while searching for some place to send her. Now my grandparents' legacy is not defined by these facts alone. They gave me so much. My grandmother's pie crusts could have won at the Iowa State Fair. I have memories of hot summer picnics and I learned the trick of how to crank the handle on an ice cream maker. And to my grandmother and my grandfather, I have the nose on my face and my forehead. And yet we have this unspoken history to pretend those wounds never existed doesn't allow any healing. And worse yet, trying to cover up the truth we know, it will leak out in other ways. In addition to this anger that I seem to remember festering, he absolutely had a chip on his shoulder. Could others see him as a courageous and loving family man if he had such a history? You see, when others foist shame upon you, how do you really write your story that's good? And it was good. But you struggle to maintain a cover-up, and it saps your energy. And the behavior patterns of ignoring the truth can become ingrained in the family DNA just as plain as the nose on my face. Now, after God promised Abraham a legacy with his wife, Sarah, she became impatient and insisted that Abraham father a child with her enslaved servant, Hagar. Sarah's plan worked, and as we predict of human nature, the pregnancy also provoked Sarah's animosity, so she banished Hagar to the desert. That first time in the desert, God found her there. And Hagar is the first person in Scripture to give God a name. She calls God the God who sees. We have a God who sees. This first name bestowed upon God echoes throughout our faith history, especially for those who have suffered at the hands of established patriarchy, selfishness, classism, and economic exploitation. To know that you're not alone and to know that you are seen gives you the strength to carry on because you know that God sees you particularly when you are discarded by people of power who really wish that you just don't exist. 
Hagar's child would bear a special name, Ishmael, which in Hebrew means God hears, for God heard Hagar's misery. We have a God who sees, and we have a God who hears. God gave Hagar a promise identical to the promise made to Abraham that her descendants would be too numerous to count, like the stars in the desert sky. She returns to the lion's den, and she raises her son. Years later, Isaac's birth reopened festering wounds. You see, the birthright laws of ancient times declared that regardless of a parent's wishes, the eldest son inherits everything. So this time, Sarah told Abraham to exile Hagar and the teenage Ishmael to the desert. Wandering with water skins empty, Hagar abandons Ishmael to die, and they both sob. Again, God saw, and again, God heard. God expanded his promise to Hagar, integral to the promise made to Abraham, I will make of him a great nation. So every time you look to the night sky, know that Ishmael's star shines brightly. And every time you look to the night sky, know that God sees, God hears, and God knows. So our story for today, what a mess. What an awful text the lectionary prescribes for Father's Day. And all I could wonder is where are the stories of baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet? Scripture's power rises as it challenges us to examine to whom and to what we will devote our lives. And usually where we make the greatest messes in our lives is where we begin to see God. We never learn if Sarah discovers God's rescue. You see, Hebrew scriptures follow Sarah and Isaac and does not mention Hagar and Ishmael again. And that's kind of true to form, that there's an adage that claims that the victor gets to write the story. And Sarah certainly tried to hijack God to her benefit and to her story. But we know that the victor only writes a version of the story. Eventually, history catches up and the truth speaks. Islamic tradition celebrates that Abraham frequently visited his son and continued to care for his wife, Hagar. Ishmael became a great archer, took a bride, and flourished. Together, he and Abraham built a cornerstone celebrated by Islam today in Mecca. Abraham's faithfulness to God is unimpeachable, as is his love for both of his sons. Truly as numerous as the stars in the sky, so too are the descendants of Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. God sees, God hears, and God knows. And I believe God smiles from that. Now, sociologists Roger Fink and Rodney Stark will claim nostalgia is the enemy of history. I'll say it again. Nostalgia is the enemy of history. They unpack this truth with, I quote, we frequently accept tales that corrupt our understanding of the past and mislead us about the present. Our country and world can no longer tolerate the ways generations have tried to cover the truth. Every day a new smartphone video records a violent crime against people of color, proving their cries of brutality and demanding our attention after hundred years of disbelief. When the light of day shines on the truth, it demands we examine our personal histories, our shared conscience, and any of the ways that lies distort our behavior now and could mislead future generations. 
It's time to rip off the band-aid that never allowed deep wounds to heal. When Abraham Lincoln delivered his second inaugural address in 1865 at the end of four bloody years of civil war, few people in the North or the South would have dissented from that statement that slavery was, I quote, somehow the cause of the war. At the war's onset in 1861, Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, justified secession for fear that Lincoln's policy not to allow slavery in new territories would make, I quote, property enslaved so insecure as to be comparatively worthless, thereby annihilating, in effect, property worth thousands of millions of dollars. The vice president of the southern states, Alexander H. Stevens, spoke of the Confederacy's foundings as based upon, and this is a tough quote to hear, but it's his truth. Stevens claims that the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and moral condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great philosophical, physical, and moral truth. Yet at the end of the war, to salvage their honor, they created new stories. After the surrender, Davis insisted that the war was fought solely for, I quote, the inalienable right of people to change their government, to withdraw from a union which they had as sovereign communities voluntarily entered. The existence of African servitude, he quotes, was maintained in no way the cause of the conflict. It was just a mere incident. That's a cover-up. Traitors tried to paint themselves as heroes. And without Twitter and honesty, the continued slaughter of blacks continued. Slavery continued. It was intimidation, it was cover-ups, it was lies. The myriad ways to write stories not only fail, but they compound the problem for future generations. As a father's lie may infect us, so too may a father's courage. Earlier this month, Roger Goodell apologized for the NFL turning its face from the ravages of racism. His video made headlines, as rarely do we find senior leaders willing to speak with such conviction, without polish, without having a message scrubbed and approved, and absolutely it looked as though it came from his heart. Perhaps Roger's father, Charlie Goodell, influenced his conscience and decision. Charles Goodell served in the armed forces and was elected to U.S. Congress in 1959. And it's at that point in time his eyes were opened to the realities of the Vietnam War, and he became a vocal opponent. To criticize the war sounded deeply unpatriotic and outside of partisan ideologies. This Charlie Goodell also marched with Coretta Scott King. He lost his re-election bid in 1970, but remained true to his convictions. So when his son spoke in favor of taking a knee to protest systemic racism, and when his son acknowledged the damage done to people of color for the continued silence of racism, and he claimed black lives matter, this leader no longer acquiesces to the status quo, and Roger Goodell lives as a testament to his father's bravery and places before us his legacy to endure. You see, we don't write the story. 
God does. We are actors in God's grand story of creation, of life, of love, of a humanity blossoming in all the colors to reflect God's divine image. When we rebelled again and again, God came to us and prophets to call us back and to speak to us the truth. God sees us and God hears us, and God continually wants to shower us with life abundantly if only we can trust in God's time and God's care and God's love for all people. Through Jesus, God offers us a grace to name our truth, to name our failures, and to start afresh. Jesus came not to bring peace, but a sword to pierce our indifference towards one another. Jesus came to bring peace, and he, Jesus came to bring us back to the life God intends, living in humility and freedom. There is a gospel truth, for God so loved the world, May we begin to love the world in return, all of it, all people, and in all of the time. May it be so, my friends. Amen.